a seat for just a minute. And um, we're going to continue worship in a moment. We're going to open the word and, um, and hear what, what, what the scriptures have to say to us. And a really exciting day today, we've got baptism at the end of our service this morning. Yeah, we're going to celebrate people making it public that they're, that they're following Christ. But this morning I wanted to, um, to begin. My name is Tom. I'm the teaching pastor here at Life Community. Um, but we, I, don't, I don't teach all the time. And those of you that are around are getting worried that we're going to flip the script and I'm going to teach here at the beginning. I'm not. But I just want to welcome and, 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 and pause for a moment because um, it's, it, it is a, it's a big week. Um, as we look at our world, there's a lot that's happening, right? And um, we, have, we have an opportunity this week to vote. Um, and, and in Acts 17, um, Paul t- says to the people in, in Athens, he says that as he's, as he's sharing, um, quite frankly, who Jesus is, along the way he says that, that the God who is real has determined the times and the places for our lives, okay? And he's done that so that we might reach out to him. And, but, but one of the things that's true about our world that, and our time and our lives is that we live in, the, in, in a country that allows us a, a participation in our government. We have the opportunity to vote, and we want to, if, if your conscience allows you, we want to encourage you to vote, okay? Um, and so, um, you know, we, we are not in the business of, of, of telling you exactly how to do that. But we want to we invite you to pray. We want to invite you to take our, our, your role in our government, our local government, and, and our state government in this election seriously. Um, and and we, we want to encourage you to do that. Um, and also this week, um, we, wanna, we want to remember the fact that, that around the world, people don't have those rights. Um, and, and around the world, there's great conflict. And, and all over the news, there's, there's all the, the stories of conflict between Israel and, and Gaza and, and, and Hamas. And, and um, we, um, we just want to stop and pray. We, we recognize um, that, that, that war and the loss of life is not the way God made the world to be. It is a symptom of the broken world, a broken world that we believe that the power of Christ can and will ultimately change, and it will, he will bring an end to all war. But in the meantime, we, we pray. We pray because we believe that all people are made in his image and that all life needs to be protected as, as much as possibly can. And, and there, there, are, there are complicated issues in any one of these things, but we at the same time acknowledge a God who is, who is big and a God who is, who is on the move and a God who is not done with this world, okay? And so we want to pray, and we want to pray specifically for a member of our church body. Um, Chip Wyant left Thursday to serve at a, at a, a hostel in, in Israel. Um, his trip was scheduled, um, Annie's nodding at me, his trip was scheduled prior to October 7th. Um, and he was just going to go serve, and, um, and he went and served anyway. And, and he is going to have a, a direct, like, impact on the lives of people who've been, who've been touched by this, this war. And so, um, so we want to pray for Chip. We want to pray for Anne as her husband is away, okay? So um, would you pray with me? Father, we, um, we know that you, um, you hold all this stuff in your hands, and... and um, and we, we worry, we do, um, and, um, and we, we, wanna, we wanna hand our, our cares and our concerns, our worries over to you. And God, we thank you that, um, we thank you for the, the blessing that, that it is to be able to participate in our government here. Um, thank you for that gift. Um, we ask for spirit for your wisdom in, in doing that. And, and would you help us and guide us? And, and Lord, would you remind us that, um, that outcomes are, 
um, you, you've had the outcomes in your hands forever. Um, and so, so help us there. And God, we pray specifically this morning for, for those um, who are living um, with daily, um, daily war as just part of their life. Um, God, we, we know that, um, that you love and you care. And so, God, we ask for, um, we ask for peaceful ends. We ask for the preservation of life. Um, and God, we ask specifically this morning that you would, um, that you would be with Chip. We know you are there with him. We pray that he would be protected. We pray that his, uh, that his time with people there would be fruitful for the ministry of your good news that you've made a way, you've made a way for all people to come to you. Um, and we, uh, we believe this and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue worshiping. Why don't you stand with us and as, we, as we continue to praise God. Y'all can have a seat. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Mike Miller, and I'm part of the teaching team here at LCC. And uh, as you, many of you know, we've been, uh, over the past several weeks, and we still have a couple weeks left, we've been talking about questions that Jesus asked in the book of Matthew. Um, you know, when we think about the Gospels, we always think about people coming up to Jesus and asking him questions. Um, but actually, in the book of Matthew, it's quite profound. There's a lot of questions that Jesus asked, not only uh, his disciples, but he also asked them to common people who came up to him, and he even asked them of people that he didn't really get along with that well, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we're going to be uh, looking at uh, Matthew chapter 15, but the question that Jesus asked today is why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Okay, so we're going to be talking a lot today about tradition. All right, so um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go ahead and read, the, read through this, okay? And, you know, if you want to read it in your Bibles, it's Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9. Okay, so here we go. Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me, is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. So, let me just um, set the stage here, okay? Um, Jesus and his disciples were up in Galilee. Uh, they were in the town of Gennesaret. Um, Jesus spent a lot of time, especially early on in his ministry, up in Galilee. And he was getting quite a reputation. I mean, all over Israel, they were starting to hear about this young rabbi, this young preacher. 
and he started making waves even way down south in Jerusalem. And uh, some, of the, some of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were like, you know, we need to go check out this Jesus guy. And so what they did is they traveled up to, up to uh, Galilee to see exactly what this guy's talking about. And many of, them, many of them were kind of neutral. They were kind of like, well, let's just find out what he's saying. But many of them were, were already biased against him. And they were looking for an opportunity to trap Jesus and get, his, get him and his disciples in trouble. So who exactly were these religious leaders? You know, if you read through the Old Testament, you never see anything about Pharisees. You don't see the word Pharisee in the Old Testament. The Pharisees were a religious group that came after the Babylonian captivity during that period of silence in the Bible called the intertestamental period. Um, and so they, they were formed during that time, and they were, they were just a group of people who decided that they were going to set themselves apart and follow the Jewish law as closely as they could. They were going to be holy. And the word holy just means set apart. Okay? Now, <laughs> that's probably a good thing. You know, God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be set apart. So, so their, their idea, their plan wasn't a bad one. Um, but sometimes, just like everything else, what happens over time is that, you know, you try to be holy, you try to be set apart, and it kind of takes on a life of its own, right? And we start making up rules and regulations and add them on top of what God commands. And that's, that's what the Pharisees did. And that's where they got in trouble. They came up with a lot of rules that they placed on top of the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets. Okay? And these were later written down. They actually wrote these down and they made a big book. It's called the Mishnah. And um, let me give you an example of what's in the Mishnah. Okay, so the fourth commandment was honor the s Sabbath day to keep it holy. Okay? God commanded the Israelites basically to take the Sabbath day off one day a week and to do no work uh, in order to commemorate the fact that God did all the creation in six days and on the seventh day he took a day off to rest. The Sabbath day was meant to be a gift to the Jewish people. It was, uh, it was meant to commemorate that day. But then what, what happens is, you know, you kind of go, okay, well, what, it, what exactly do you mean by I can't work on the Sabbath, okay? What, what is considered work? And so that's when the teachers of the law came up with these very detailed instructions on what is, what's considered work, right? Um, and what, what are we banned from doing or what can we get in trouble and what's okay to do on the Sabbath? For example... Uh, they said that you're not allowed to burn anything on the Sabbath. Uh, that involves making a fire or causing anything to burn. So even throwing a toothpick into a fire during the Sabbath is considered breaking the Sabbath. Um, and obviously this category forbids actions like striking a match or cooking anything, okay, lighting a stove. Now many uh, Orthodox Jews follow these rules to this day. Um, so it's just, it's, it's their tradition, right? Okay, and then, then the question always is like, okay, so you say we're supposed to remember the Sabbath day. So when does the Sabbath day start? Okay, well, 
It goes from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. But okay, but when is sundown officially? You know, and, and so they came up with these rules. They said that, you know, when it's dark enough that you can three, see three stars in the sky, then that's considered sundown. So they have all these rules um, that they were living, and there were penalties, right? If you didn't follow them completely, if you didn't wait for that third star to appear and you started working, then you were punished or uh, you were looked down upon in society. And it came to the point, the problem was, it came to the point where those rules that were written down in the Mishnah were more important than the command. Uh, they overrode the command of God. And that's what Jesus condemned. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were more concerned about keeping the letter of the law than about the spirit of the law. In Matthew 15, they said, the, the Pharisees came and they said, Hey, your, your Pharisee, your, your uh, disciples overlook the tradition of the elders. And that was the tradition of washing their hands, right? The, the religious people washed their hands when they ate because they believed that in everyday life they got contaminated. Just walking through the market, you'd get contaminated because you might have brushed up against a Gentile. You might have touched something that was unclean and maybe you didn't know about it. So they made this big deal about washing your hands, and you had to wash them a certain way. Um, it, it's kind of funny. This is just an aside. But you remember the, the wedding at Cana? And a, at the wedding, there were these six large stone jars, big stone things filled with water. That water was for the ceremonial washing that they were going to do before the wedding. And, and I just think it's really profound that Jesus took that water that was supposed to be used in some empty ceremony and he turned it into wine for something that was for, for rejoicing. You know, you could probably do a whole study on that. But anyway. Um, but, okay, so they had these traditions. All of us have traditions. We have them in our home. We have them in our families. We have them here at church, right? They're not necessarily bad things. But they can become bad if we're not careful, and we make them the most important thing. Um, I'll just give you an example of this. My wife and I, uh, in our family, we lived in Asia during a lot of the 1990s, and um, we were there with a group of about 12 people. And this is, this is our team uh, in the 1990s. Um, most of them had just graduated from college, and they just wanted to devote a year after college to doing some missionary work. So that's, that's what we did. And uh, Sandy and I led that team. That was like our, this is like our first cell group, okay? Um, and it, but it was a cell group on steroids, right? Because uh, we lived in the same building. We often ate our meals together. We worshiped together, prayed together, basically lived our whole lives together for an entire year. Imagine doing that with your cell group, <laughs> which might be good, okay? And for the most part, it was great. Uh, we, got along, we got along really great. Sometimes we got on each other's nerves, but all of, overall, it was a great time. Um, one of the most challenging times, though, was at Christmas time. And this, this picture was actually taken in a hotel at Christmas time. We went out to dinner. Um, Christmas is the time of the year where we have really 
firmly held traditions, don't we? Um, like, w on Christmas morning, one person in our group would say, well, remember, we have to have our Christmas on Christmas Eve uh, and open all our presents on Christmas Eve. And another person would go, Christmas Eve? Are you crazy? No, you, we open our, our presents on Christmas Day. Everybody knows that. So they brought in their family traditions, and they had a really hard time letting them go. It almost like caused arguments when we're going to open our Christmas presents. Um, your family probably has Christmas traditions, and you'd find them really hard to let go of. You know, um, I've really discovered this, like, uh, w what really happens is after your kids grow up and they start their own traditions, maybe they get married and they join with another family, and now you've got that family's traditions kind of like butting up against your Christmas tradition. It's going to cause a lot of issues. You'll see. <laughs> it's, I call it the, it's always been done this way syndrome, right? And, and even in the church, some of you might come from a church um, where your background is very liturgical. What I mean by liturgical is, you know, there's a book that you go, okay, turn to page 32, and we're going to read out of this, and that's going to be our church service, okay? Uh, you follow the same format every Sunday. And people, I remember, people get very upset if you messed with that pattern, if you messed with the liturgy. We do the same thing here, right? But it's probably not as obvious. Um, there's, a, there's a degree of comfort and a degree of safety that we get from our traditions, right? But our traditions are meant to help us remember things. You don't have to keep looking at this picture. <laughs> I don't look like that anymore. But <laughs> um, The Old Testament is full of traditions, right? It's full of commands from God to observe certain traditions. In, and he was very specific about how you were supposed to do those things, like Passover, right? If you read in the book of Exodus, God was very specific about exactly how you were supposed to do Passover, right? And the men, of, the men of Israel were supposed to come to Jerusalem, come to the temple three times a year during the major holidays to observe the holy days. Um, also, uh, I was reading in the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, you know, when, when Israel was just entering the, the, um, the promised land, uh, God split open the Jordan River and they walked through on dry land. And he had a member of each tribe pick up a rock in the middle of the river and then when they got to the other side, they, they made a pile of rocks. And the reason they made that pile of rocks was to remember. So that every time you passed by there, you would remember what God did for you. God commanded this because he understands that human nature, our human nature is that we forget. You know, we just, we just let things drift away and we forget about things. Um, the purpose was so that Israel could commemorate the great things that God had done for them in the past. And that's why we have a lot of our traditions, right? In fact, we are basically the sum of all our traditions that we learned from others, okay? But the problem arises, again, when we put so much emphasis on the tradition that we exclude others who don't share our same standards, we value traditions because they're tangible, and we feel that there's something that we can control. The traditions kind of become a comfy blanket that we like to wrap around ourselves, making us feel better without challenging our beliefs at all. 
and, or, and not asking too much from us. And eventually, they can lose their meaning, right? And that's what happens in Matthew 15. 15 okay. Um, so let me just go back to and go into a little more detail about um, let me just read through this again and we'll talk about this. Jesus says, why do you break the command of God for the sake of tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But if you say that a, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the work of God, the word of God, for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. So, so what, what is Jesus talking about here? So um, the commandment of God was honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you in the land that your Lord, your God is giving you. Okay. The law stated at that time, it is that as your parents got older, you as their children were obligated to meet their needs, right? In ancient Israel, there was no Social Security, there was no Medicare, there was no assisted living uh, facilities um, to help you take care of your parents. Uh, it was all on you, okay? However, the Pharisees had this tradition that they called korban, Okay, and korban is just a word that means a gift or an offering. So what they would do is they would they would promise this like financial gift to the temple. Uh, they didn't actually have to pay it right then and there. It was just promised. Okay. Um, however, <laughs> there's a little trick here: is that that gift could be redeemed. Uh, just before the year of Jubilee. Remember the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament? Every 50 years, all your property returned to you. Okay? So, so they could say, well, uh, if your mother and father came to you and asked for help, you could just say, sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. I dedicated that money to the temple. Okay? And to the work of God, so I can't give it to you. Really, the son never really had to give it. And often this was just a method to enrich yourself without actually feeling guilty. When they didn't want to help, they claimed a korban or a gift from God. But in Matthew, we read that Jesus considered this, that it invalidated the word of God for the sake of a tradition. Okay, Man's tradition supplanted the word of God. We have to be careful about allowing tradition to become more important than God's word. Anytime we place a man-made rule uh, above the word of God, we sin. Okay? And we also have to be careful not to add anything to the word of God. So we've seen that, that traditions can be a good thing. In fact, God commanded his people to observe traditional holidays with the idea of remembering what he'd done for them. Pr traditions were a part of the Jewish community. It brought them together. They they, it brings our communities together as well. But the problems arises when we cling to our traditions so closely that we forget what they're for uh, and what they're meant to remind us of. Okay? It starts off as a good thing, right? But then it evolves into something that has little or no meaning. 
and even worse when we start adding to the word of God. Now, the danger, I, I, we were thinking about this, we were talking about in teaching team, uh, what's the danger of clinging so close to our traditions? What happens? And, and I, I think there's two things that happen. Uh, the dangers of tradition and clinging to it too tightly are legalism and complacency, okay? Um, the Pharisees had become so attached to their ideas that they supplanted the word of God in their lives and they forced their rules on other people. And that's the definition of uh, legalism. Legalism starts with a positive desire to connect with God and offers a way to do that, which makes sense initially. But as people become more and more legalistic uh, and they, they start seeing other people who aren't following their rules as th those guys are failing, those guys aren't meeting the mark. This is really hard because I think, I think we're kind of hardwired into being legalists, okay? Because, because we, at least I am, I, I want to take control of things in my life, okay? And there is nothing more out of control in the Christian's life than your salvation, <laughs> right? We, we always try to have at least a little bit of control on it. We want to add something to our salvation, right? It's so hard for us to fully accept the fact that Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done for your salvation. And there's not one thing that you can do to add what he, to what he's already done. There's nothing you can do to add to it. He's done it all. But I believe that's affected the church of God through, through multiple generations. And so we become legalistic, right? And here's, here's some signs of legalism, okay? Number one, legalists feel superior by comparing themselves to other people, okay? That's, uh, why don't your disciples follow in the rules that we maintain, okay? The Pharisees assumed that you're in bad standing with God if you fail to adhere to their legalistic standards. And, you know, honestly, this you should be a lot more like me attitude goes all throughout history, and it, it's in our hearts too. And, you know, but if you're being really honest, I don't think the Pharisees really cared that much that you didn't follow their way of doing things. Because as long as you don't follow their way of doing things, they feel superior. They're better than you, right? Because they're following the rules. It just made them feel good about themselves. This is not just a problem with the Pharisees. It happens in the church today, right? We've seen it. Well, they can't be a Christian because look at how they're dressed. Look, they can't be a Christian. Look at the company they keep or the bad habits that they have. Or maybe we go, well, they, that's, they can't be Christians. That's a weird church because they sing with drums and guitars. Or they can't be Christians because they have an organ. You know, we are always comparing ourselves to other, to other believers. 
And anytime we compare ourselves to others and consider ourselves superior, we're sinning. We're sinning against God. Any sense of elitism is unwarranted in the kingdom of God. Secondly, legalists masquerade as sincere worshipers. Okay? The Pharisees looked to be really godly men. I mean, if you were walking down the street in ancient Israel and you saw a Pharisee standing there and he was standing there and he was praying with his hands uplifted, a lot of the people would probably look at him and go, wow, I want to be like that guy. You know, I want to be holy like that guy. But Jesus saw through them, right? He, he, and he condemned them because they were just drawing attention to themselves, okay? When worship becomes more about you than about God, then you have become an idol, okay? Empty worship is when we put our preferences as more important than God's expectations for us. That's empty worship. Legalists also prioritize their traditions over God's commands, okay? And this is basically what this story is about. We, and we have to war against the tendency to prioritize trends and traditions over the truth, okay? So if you have a tradition in your life and you're hanging on to it and you can't trace it to a biblical origin, then that practice should be expendable in your life. And fourth. Legalists make excuses for disobedience. That's what the Pharisees were doing with Corban, right? It was, it was a convenient and profitable excuse to be disobedient to the law of God. Tampering with God's word, right? It can be a habitual convenience for us. So don't disguise disobedience as devotion. Okay. So the second thing uh, w about... Uh, was. First was legalism, and then next is complacency. And I think in the church today, at least in my heart, this is a bigger problem. This is a danger of clinging to our empty traditions. When I was growing up, going to church was just something we did. So I grew up in what I remember of the 60s and the 70s. Um, everybody went to church. Back then, everybody went to church. Um, I remember being bored to death, sitting in the pew next to my parents and my grandparents. Um, but when I was growing up, that's just what families did. Faith was a part of the fabric of both the family and the community at the time. And our traditions bound us together, right? Uh, but there was also a subtle sense of complacency that set in among the generations, especially when it came to our faith. My mom and dad dragged me to church every Sunday, but they had no real faith of their own. It was just something that they did, okay? Rather than being the personal, intimate relationship that Jesus talked about and called us to, uh, for many, faith had just become like a communal tradition, okay? We went through the motions. We kept up the tradition, okay? Now, later in my life, my family came to Christ and came to a salvation, okay? And we started going to a more liturgical church, okay? Which is okay, because if you're fully engaged in it, uh, the liturgy was meaningful. But it became so easy, 
even in that situation, to just go through the motions on Sunday morning. It doesn't really matter if you go to a liturgical church or a non-liturgical church like LCC. We can still become complacent in our, in our, when we worship on Sunday morning as well as in our personal spiritual life. Do you ever, do you ever find yourself becoming placent, complacent on Sunday morning? You know, you just kind of, sh- you know, it's time to go to church. Hey, show up, get yourself a donut. You head in and, and, you know, the band's playing, so you sing along and you don't really know what you're saying. And then, and then you kind of zone out when some guy up front's talking. And, you, you know, you just kind of, it just becomes the thing that you do on Sunday morning. Okay? How about your, in your cell groups? You ever become complacent in your cell group? You just do it, you just go through the motion? How about in your personal walk with God? so easy to become complacent. It takes real effort for us to not experience complacency in our spiritual walk. Patterns become habits, and habits become traditions, and traditions are just mindlessly acted out as they've always been done for generations, right? Our faith can become kind of lifeless, and there's no real investment of our hearts and minds in it, okay? (laughs) I have to bring this up have to bring up C.S. Lewis. <laughs> so we've, we've talked about the Screwtape Letters. And um, for those of you who don't know, the Screwtape Letters is a book. And the, the idea of it is one demon is writing to another demon. And he's writing these letters back and forth, okay? And um, one of the jobs that the demon Screwtape is uh, encouraging his ward, Wormwood, the other demon, to pursue, he said... I want you to soothe the lukewarm and complacent even faster to sleep. I want you to soothe the lukewarm and complacent even faster to sleep. Like that's, that's how he works in our lives. And it, that can happen no matter what religious tradition you're from or that you're in. So what can we as a church do about that? Okay, What can we as a people do about that? We were, we were discussing this thing at Teaching Team uh, the other night, and someone brought up something that I, I, I thought was really profound. You know, we're all excited. We're all hoping that one day soon we can get back to our building, right? Yes, when, and everyone's asking, when, when can we do this? When can we get back to the building? But returning to our building should not just bring us back to where we were. Allowing us to resume doing things the way we always did them before, before the fire. That's complacency. Going back to the way we were. And the same thing with COVID, right? The COVID era should not have just been a, a meaningless interruption for our church. We need to remember that LCC is not a building. Uh, it's, it's a group of people desperately seeking after Jesus, right? And loving each other and reaching out into the community. That's what God wants us to do. And these unsought interruptions that have occurred should be changing us for the better. How about us as individuals, right? Have we become complacent? It's always easier for us to comply with externals and just going along with the tradition than to plumb the depths of our hearts and uh, confess our sins. Even, even David, 
had to do this, right? In Psalm 139, he wrote, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Even David had to ask God to examine his heart um, to see his, the integrity of his devotion to God. You know, God will answer that prayer. If you pray that prayer, God will answer that prayer. He will show you the condition of your heart. What, we, what, what is something that you might care about more than him? He'll show it to you. If you're bold enough, like David was, to ask and be prepared for the answer. And if we're really bold, we can ask other believers to help us out with this, right? If we're really bold, you can go to your cell group people and say, guys, do you see anything, any offensive way in me? Do you see anything in me that God would want to change? That, that takes real boldness, right? To go to your cell group, to go to somebody in your family, to go to your spouse and ask them that. takes real boldness. But that's what God, that's what David learned to do, and that's what we need to learn to do too. Why don't we, uh, why don't we pray? Let's ask God to do this in our hearts. Lord, it's so easy for us to just follow traditions. And we know that you've given us traditions just to help us remember the things that you've done. And you have done great things. And we're so thankful. But Lord, help us to not get so caught up in, in those traditions that we forget what they're for. That... Um, we become legalistic and we start forcing other people to be like us or we start judging other people because they're not like us. They do things different than us. And Lord, pray that you would convict, convict us of complacency in our walk with you. Not only as individuals, Lord, I pray that for individuals, but I pray that as a church, that you would show us ways that we're complacent, ways that you want to you push us forward and to move us forward in our faith and our walk with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Mike. Uh, we're we're going to sing and move on to uh, the next part of our service. Uh, we're excited to have some baptisms here this morning. Uh, but before we, we do that, I just wanted to give a, a brief little background uh, into what baptisms are and why why we do them, why our friends uh, Natalie and Max have chosen to stand with Jesus in that way today. Um, so we participate in this experience of baptism uh, because when Jesus paid the, for the sins of mankind on the cross and rose from the dead, he gave a specific set of instructions to his disciples that they should go out and help people understand who he was and what he did. And he said as a public declaration of that faith, that they should be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in that day, people were baptized when they wanted to make a statement and show that they were associating or identifying with someone or something. And we want to make something very clear this morning that baptisms does not grant salvation to anyone. It is simply an act that confirms to all of us what they have already done, that they have put their faith in Jesus Christ first and alone. 
and continuing to see God's work in making this church multicultural for his glory. We're going to hear stories in English and in Spanish with live translations, don't worry. Uh, And today, Max and Natalie are going to make that association. They're going to identify that they are on Jesus' team and that they trust him and believe in what he did for them on the cross and how he rose from the dead for them. And this is cause to celebrate, and we want to say if you've walked the road with these people, uh, we invite you to come up today and be around the tank as they are baptized. Um, But again, before we baptize, it's funny that we talked about traditions and all that stuff, because we kind of have a tradition around here that there's a song we love. It's called Love Changes Everything, and we're going to sing it. So why don't you guys stand, and we can sing that out together this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You, you can have a seat. Hola. Hello. Mi nombre es Natalie Parrea. My name is Natalie Ipera. Madre de tres hijos, Ian, Max y Abraham. Mother of three children, Ian, Max and Abraham. Les comparto mi testimonio antes de mi bautizo. I want to share my testimony before my baptism. Una vez mi madre me dijo que me bautizaron cuando era niña, algo así como a los cinco años de edad. One time my mother told me that I was baptized when I was a little girl, something like five years old. Tuve mis padrinos, algunos invitados, el sacerdote y yo, y fue, una, fue en una iglesia católica. I was baptized, it was close, I had my godparents, there were some people that were invited, the priest and myself, and it was in a Catholic church near the house where my parents, where I grew up. Honestamente no recuerdo ese episodio, ese momento del bautizo, solo sé que hay un par de fotos como recuerdo. Honestly, I don't remember this episode of my life. I only have a few photos that serve as a memory. Con el paso de los años en mi formación como persona, quise darle un cambio a mi vida. As a passage of years and I was formed as a person, I wanted to give a change to my life. Por mi parte, me, inter- me interesó buscar y conocer más de Dios, conocer más de su palabra. Personally, I was out looking interested in seeking and knowing more about God, knowing more about his word. Con el paso de los años, la vida me hizo coincidir en una hermosa comunidad cristiana. With the passage of years, my life coincided with a beautiful Christian community. Que hablan español. They spoke Spanish. Todos muy buenas, muy buenas personas y bellas personas. They were all beautiful people, very beautiful people. He aceptado desde hace varios años a Dios en mi corazón. I've accepted God into my life a few years ago. Pero hoy he decidido por mí mismo recibir mi bautizo. But today, personally, I'm deciding to receive my baptism. Porque ahora estoy más consciente de este momento especial, de mi compromiso como hija de Dios y porque lo conozco mucho más que antes. Because I'm more conscious of this special moment of my commitment with God because I've known him so much more now than I did before. Este bautizo es una nueva etapa para mí, un nuevo comienzo en mi vida. En este momento bendigo en el nombre de Dios el agua que caerá en mi cuerpo y la bendigo como la fuente de mi vida. This baptism is a new stage in my life and a new beginning to my life. And in this moment, I bless the water that will fall over my body and I bless it as a fountain of my life.
not only have you received Father, Father God as your Lord and Savior, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father God, thank you for this time. Because you are a God of new beginnings. And even though all, not all traditions are good, we believe that this tradition of today is a commandment that you have given us. And we give thanks because we remember through this tradition that only you have been able to lift us from death. Only you can give life. And because through your resurrection, your manifest, manifestation in Natalie's life has been present, God. I bless her life. And I ask you for the challenges that she has ahead. I want to ask you, God, that as a church we are faithful in discipling her, in taking care of her, and in remembering so that she may be able to grow. We love you, God, for your faithfulness. And we place Natalie and her family in your hands. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hola. My name is Maxi Palmeros. I am nine years old and almost ten. Mi nombre es Maxi Palmeros. Ya tengo nueve años y ya menos tengo diez. Years old in December. I will be ten. Tendré diez en diciembre. I wanted to get baptized because I want to feel this special moment. Yo me quiero bautizar porque quiero sentir este momento especial. I believe in God. Yo creo en Dios y tengo a Dios en mi vida y en mi corazón. I'm grateful to God for my family, the sun. Yo estoy agradecido por Dios por mi vida, por mi familia, el sol y el agua. ¿Has recibido al Señor como tu Padre y Salvador? Lo bautizo en el nombre del Señor, el Padre, el Hijo y el Espíritu Santo. Padre Santo, muchas gracias por la vida de Max. Gracias porque eres un buen Dios. Y sabemos que tienes un plan para la nueva generación. 
estoy orando que Max sea parte de ese plan para esta iglesia. Y que mucha gente pueda conocer al Señor por el trabajo que estás haciendo por él y por medio de él. Bendigo a Max y su familia. Y oro que este comienzo de hoy podamos celebrar años después lo que estás haciendo con él y por él. Gracias Dios. Estamos orando en el nombre de Jesús. Amén. Amen. Thank you for celebrating with us. I'm going to go ahead and put a plug now that baptisms are coming up in June, most likely. So if this is the next step of faith for you, start thinking about it now. And then I have two, one, two quick announcements. Um, there's no Sunday lunch today, but instead we're having potlucks in homes starting next Sunday. Yes. And I think there's... <laughs> We love our food. Um, I think there's there's plenty of space for everyone. Um, there's signups on mylcc.info. A few are at the welcome desk. Um, and then finally, before we go, so remember one, food, sign up today. Two, RELC is coming in to pack shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child. So if you can grab a chair and just push it off to the side, don't stack because we won't get them unstuck. But go ahead and just move chairs off to both sides. That would be great. So potlucks and chairs. Thank you.